Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for episode two of season six of Supergirl, A Few Good Women. And the topic for this episode is basically what is heroism to the characters in terms of who is a heroic person and what qualities do they find heroic, particularly in light of the difficult situation they are facing right now with Kara being out of town, <laughs> being in the Phantom Zone. <laughs> that is an amazingly euphemistic way to put it, Cycles. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm covering for her, just in case oh. someone who doesn't know is listening. Okay, you're helping, like Nia. I see. Yes. <laughs> Got it. So one of the things that most of the characters find quite heroic is this idea of acting, which is something that's very tied into what I think most people see as heroism. The like heroics aspect of it is acting to help people, typically, or persevering, as we see with multiple characters, mm. particularly with Kara and Jean as characters who are survivors of, in Jean's case, a genocide and in Kara's case the destruction of her planet both of them lost their people and their need to act an idea of heroism is very much rooted in that yeah actually which is funny because when we were talking during the season premiere cycles you actually mentioned the fact that jean is really afraid that inaction is going mm -hmm. to cause the death of his loved ones because that is how he felt during the Martian genocide, he had to watch his wife and his children be taken away from him and then they were all killed. Yeah. And so that trauma really informs him as a character and his decisions about whether to act or not act, especially after he had his revelation that being a man of peace in the kind of more passive way that Marin was just did not work for him. Mm. Right. And it's actually very similar to what Kara says in this episode when she's explaining to Zorel that when the phantoms came after her, she saw everyone she loved dying while she stood by and did nothing. Mm -hmm. And for Kara, that sense of being powerless and, and unable to act is, again, rooted similarly to Jean's in this huge life-altering loss that she experienced because... She watched Krypton explode from inside the pod alone, mm -hmm. and then she had no control over what happened next. The pod went off course. She got stuck. She was sitting there alone with her thoughts yeah. for a very yeah. long time while consciously <laughs> aware of it. Yes. And so a lot of her desire to act as Supergirl and as Kara comes from this concern that not acting would be worse almost. Right. Yeah. And another thing that ties into this this fear very rooted in that trauma is in episode 19 of season one, Kara says, my mother was faced with this decision on Krypton to act or do nothing. And she chose wrong. Your phrasing of, of that do nothing made that quote stand out to me. So there's also that connection of legacy and her mother and feeling like her mother failed in a way that traumatized her and doomed their whole planet through that inaction. And in this episode, we see Kara say, but I would rather live through torture and do something than just exist for the sake of it, which kind of reaffirms something that we said last episode, which was that Kara being in the Phantom Zone trapped would feel worse to her than like dying and going into Ral's light and being with you know, her people. And Jean also 
says something in this episode similar to that sentiment in terms of I'd rather die to get her back than live with the guilt that I didn't do everything that I could. Mm. So that sense of like, I'd rather die than not act rooted in their their fears and the sort of different like quality of this need to act within them. But going into, you know, the specifics of Kara, we'll start with. We see her in this episode have this big conflict with Zorel where he wants to just stay in the caves forever and, and hide from the phantom so that he's not, you know, mentally tortured. And Kara does not agree with that plan and notably says to him, like, you were a hero, which I find interesting Mm. because it is past tense and she does not see him that way anymore. Yeah. Which, I mean, makes sense from the little that we have learned about Kara's father so far. She really hasn't talked about him anywhere near as much as she's ever talked about her mother. And the mm-hmm. only things we know for sure are that he was a scientist on Krypton and that he was responsible for creating the Medusa virus, which was essentially a bioweapon for mass extermination of other species. Yeah. And that was a thing that when Kara found that out, really pushed her to call her family's values and their legacy into question and the ideals that were the foundation of kind of her heroism. But within this circumstance, you have Kara, who's very much a, f- a fighter and a doer, <laughs> confronted with Zorel's desire for inaction. And Kara leans into kind of her first value as Supergirl, which is hope. And mm. we had talked about this in our Why the World Needs Supergirl episode that for Kara, hope is itself an action. Mm. Hope isn't just a th- like a thing you think and you sit and do nothing. It's very (laughs) much like a, I need to lead with a vision of what I want to be. And then I need to find a way to take some steps to make that change happen. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think one of the comparisons we made in that episode was to Barack Obama as this political figure who had this huge hope campaign. Mm -hmm. The way that he conceptualized hope was in contrast in some ways with optimism, which is more to him of a mindset and and like an outlook. Mm. Things will turn out all right. That sort of positioning versus hope, which is to him and I think to Kara very rooted in taking steps to ensure positive things happen. Yeah. And and always looking for solutions and finding a way, which is very, you know, Kara. Yeah. Well, and then one of the other things kind of related to that and related to this interaction that happens between Kara and Zorel in the Phantom Zone is he tells her, you know, you're not going to be able to succeed at getting out without the phantoms attacking you. And she goes, well, even if I only make it one more inch every day, that's worth it to me Mm -hmm. because it's progress. And in our episode we did before the premiere, I kind of talked about this idea that Kara is very good at finding success within the failure that might happen Mm. and using that as hope that she can get a little bit further each time. Yeah. But Zorel, on the other hand, because he's been there alone for so long, Mm. has completely lost that ability to hope as much as he may have ever had it. Yeah. Kind of in the same way that Allura lost hope of ever seeing Kara again, despite knowing that she had gone away in her pod and got trapped in the Phantom Zone and didn't make it to Earth. She assumed that she had died. She says how she taught Kara to hope, but she herself did not. And so we see two parents here kind of not holding up to the values which they imparted upon Kara. Mm. Which is interesting, too, because this is not the first time we've had a father-daughter reunion that has been a bit disappointing in this way. Alex goes through a similar disillusionment process, if you will, Mm. when they find Jeremiah after learning 
that not only was he alive, he had actually been at Cadmus the whole time. And in both cases, with Jeremiah and here with Zorel, the the issue is never that they like lost the love they had for their families, for their children. It's not like they stopped caring about them or wanting to be with them again. Yeah. But both of them were men who had been isolated from everything they knew and loved or in captivity, essentially, because the Phantom Zone is a prison and Jeremiah <laughs> was captured by Cadmus for so long that they had given up, essentially, hmm. which is a psych concept of its own that's called learned helplessness. Essentially, if you're repeatedly subjected to a bad or harmful thing that you initially can't get away from, eventually you get conditioned to stopping attempting to escape it even when you are given the ability to do so later on and Kara essentially here is that thing that's saying I am here Mm. I can make that difference and he's like no it's fine we'll just die here (laughs) um (laughs) which the the learned helplessness thing is a very interesting concept along the lines of of this power theme Mm, yeah and powerlessness as sort of one of the elements that one would have to fight in order to reach power in a positive and and change affecting way the other thing that's kind of intriguing about this because of how much these two characters are similar and linked in their past and some of their experiences is that this state that we find both Jeremiah and Zorel in of having been so alone and cut off from people that they've really given up hope in some respects mm. is also kind of the state that we find Jean in mm. when we meet him early on in the series because he after he escaped from Mars felt so guilty about having escaped and being alive that he felt like he needed to punish himself and be away from people even though he didn't have to do it anymore to kind of go back to that Mm -hmm. trapped helpless feeling and the thing that really pushes him out of it is that initial meeting with jeremiah and that bonding over being fathers of these daughters who are both Mm -hmm. tough and vulnerable Mm -hmm. but also later the thing that really really pushes him is (laughs) kara In Kara fashion. She just, you know, is is the change. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> That's beautifully corny. Thank you. It is. And, you know, speaking of that connection that Kara has with Jean, one of the things that Kara obviously sees as a heroic thing, as an essential part of her as Supergirl and as Kara Danvers, frankly, mm-hmm. is her ability to and, and wish to reach people and, and affect them in positive ways. Yeah. Like interpersonally and, you know, parasocially via hope speech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For instance, in this episode, when she is talking to Zorel while he's asleep. <laughs> Speaking of parasocial <laughs> things relationships. Are, <laughs> things are like slightly awkward between them, it feels like. She says, I'm going to help you find your way again. I'm going to get us out of here, I promise. Which, you know, ties into this idea of, of heroism as like hope speeches <laughs> in assorted forms that we see yeah. with the characters. Well, and it's also just an established part of Kara that we've seen since the beginning of the series. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, she says to Kat, I'm going to fix this about her family situation or in the flashbacks as a teenager when she found out you know kenny's parents in their grief were worried about the missing telescope she's like i will find it for you (laughs) yes (laughs) precisely and and that sort of point of of compassion for kara obviously Mm -hmm. is associated with her motto is a big part of her heroism and we see her have that goal across the seasons of, of trying to like 
save people in assorted forms, not just physically, but emotionally, for instance, mm-hmm. obviously with Lena, who Kara in actually season two said, tying back into this idea of like Kara being like, I'm going to fix this. Lena says, I think when I feel things again, I'm going to be very afraid of the person I might be because she's afraid of what the loss of Jack's fear will do to her and, and if it'll make her more like Lillian. And Kara's like, you don't have to be afraid. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Mm. Lena's like, promise. <laughs> and Kara's like, I will always be your friend and I will always protect you. I promise. And she did hold up that promise. Yeah. Which is very tied, I think, into action. And the hope speeches that Kara gives, going back to your thought about hope being an action-driven process, mm. are laced with promises to act or intentions to act in order to protect people or to enact positive change. And with Lena, she intends to be there for her and she follows through on that. Now contrast that with Alora, who Kara says, you know, I love her, but she didn't save Krypton like she promised. So Mm. a promise would probably be a big deal to Kara, which I think ties nicely into something that you have observed about Kara throughout the years. Well, that Kara doesn't overreach when she makes a promise. She makes promises that seem hard to attain, but that she absolutely will do. Mm -hmm. Kara, and this is where it's kind of interesting that they, for the series on the television show, chose to have Kara be such a humanities person. Mm -hmm. She thinks very carefully about words and what words mean. And she does not tell people things that she doesn't mean Right. And that she cannot follow through on. Yeah. Which, you know, even ties all the way back to her coming up with an ethos, a motto for what she stands for. Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't want to be the same as Clark. These are the things that I value and they are hope and help and compassion. And I am going to put them together in this way. I know I can. (laughs) The end. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) Watch out, world. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, And, you know, all of these things. I think with regard to like promises and and wanting to fix things for people and hope are tied to the help part of her motto and and that aspect of heroism. And speaking of this like motto that Kara has, which is an anchor for her, Mm. Kara in this episode sort of ironically seems like she's coping the best with the situation compared to maybe the other super friends at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for now. But I think that that is rooted in how for Kara, her concept of heroism being action is not terribly contested by the events that are happening. Like she, It's pretty clear to her that acting is the right choice mm. <laughs> in contrast with some of the other characters. And there's no need for her to, to doubt herself or to doubt her values and or this motto. Well, and she also understands that action doesn't have to be like the end of a Marvel movie action <laughs> to still be meaningful and to still be progress. She literally says, she's like, if I get an inch farther tomorrow than I did mm. today, yeah that's a win yeah and we'll talk about like alex but that is something that alex is not feeling in touch with no (laughs) sort of like (laughs) incrementalism of sorts but so car is not feeling like self-doubt or struggling with patience you know like there's not a situation for car right now where she has to just sit and wait to win like in any clear way whereas with someone like jean that is a struggle for him 
Mm. in this episode. Yeah. For Jean, again, as we have talked about, heroism is action. And in this episode, Jean is trying to act to break through to the Phantom Zone and rescue Kara as quickly as possible. And, you know, at all. (laughs) And interestingly, I think we see him be quite quick to anger yeah in this episode in a way that he's usually not yeah he tends to be that calm presence calm in the center of the storm the one who tells alex to chill yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes but he lashes out at silas yeah when something goes wrong with the the stargate (laughs) the (laughs) yeah phantom zone gateway but i think we are seeing here jean's sort of excessive wish to act and to just like fight and save Kara manifest in anger because he can't be doing that right now. <laughs> he is instead lashing out at Silas as opposed to like maybe breaking through to the phantom zone and fighting off phantoms, you know? Anger in general is an emotion driven by the sense that something is wrong and the compulsion to do something about it. We also see Jean be quite like no nonsense, single minded and and serious and almost season one like mm. in this episode. Yeah. Also in how he like sort of commands Silas to get it done. It felt very like D.O. Jean yeah. when he was like not trying to be nice <laughs> and like friends with people. <laughs> Early in season one. Yeah. Early in season one. Yeah. But Jean ultimately makes the decision to be sort of less emotional and like more patient and willing to lie and wait. And that is driven by which he says to Megan how he almost lost Megan today, Alex, everyone in trying to rescue Kara from the Phantom Zone and, and not thinking ahead and, and trying to carefully map it out ahead of time. And we'll go more actually into this with Alex, but it's kind of like how he is inclined in episode 13 of season one for the girl who has everything, the Black Mercy episode, to stop Alex from running into the Black Mercy dream world to save Kara because he's afraid that he'll lose her too. And it's sort Mm. of this interesting, almost conservative mindset which touches on something you actually said last week oh, yeah. in the last mm-hmm. episode, where it is related to, for Jean, like the trauma of losing his daughters. And that makes him want to take fewer risks with the daughter that he has left, Alex. Mm. And he actually talks about his daughters in this episode with Megan. He says he thinks of Kim and Tanya every day. But with Kara gone, enduring that all alone, my memories take a different shape. Which was, A, just a nice way of phrasing it. I appreciated the bit of dialogue writing there in terms of it not being super literal Mm. in a fun way. And B, it's a nice way of conceptualizing the places his mind is drifting now that one of his daughter figures is in direct danger. Mm. He regularly thinks about Kim and Tanya and maybe he had been thinking of them in a positive, you know, happy memories light. Mm. But now with Caragon... He's thinking about the the loss and the trauma associated with that. Almost like it's something that he'd made peace with in a way. Mm. Because like Kara, he's had to reconcile that he had a family on Mars and he now has a family on Earth. Right. And now something shaking that family Mm. has kind of reawakened and re-triggered like all of that negative emotion. Yeah. And he sort of in some terms like regresses as a character. He mm-hmm. he takes steps backward in terms of like no longer thinking in terms of family and just being a soldier is what he says. Yeah. And that line in terms of like a soldier obviously makes sense with McGon, who is also a soldier. Mm. But it also harkens back to 
for me in season one in that Black Mercy episode when Jean contrasts being a soldier with being a hero. He and Alex are soldiers and Kara in this scenario is a hero. Mm. And he and Alex as soldiers make hard, maybe like morally ambiguous calls. And in this case, in season one, it was with relation to killing Astra, mm-hmm. whereas Kara is like a symbol. And that, I think, is how he sees that. Whereas Kara is like a symbol and, you know, a hero will not presumably make those kinds of calls and will stay consistent with their value system. And this was at a point in his life where he was still becoming close with Kara and Alex and accepting them as like new family figures in his life. After, you know, his loss of his daughters. Well, and also within the context of that Black Mercy episode, he decides to bear the brunt of Kara's anger because he thinks it's less important and less damaging because he's not really part of her family. Hmm. Even though in the episodes following it, we see that him being, you know, at odds with Kara and them not embracing each other has huge Negative ramifications on everyone. <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the city, you know, <laughs> the world. Um, yes. And tie into like his core belief of like feeling like a monster mm. and, and feeling like it's okay for him to do those things because he's not supposed to have the heroic qualities and feeling like it's also okay for him to not have familial connections and, and loved ones in his life because he is a monster. And also, interestingly, in the Black Mercy episode, it's important for him to, you know, take the blame in that case because he says Kara sees Alex as a hero, Mm. which he feels like he is not at that time. The other thing that's interesting about this advice that Magan gives to Jean about, you know, you're thinking like a father, that's to your detriment. You need to be calm, collected. You need to think like a soldier, think strategically Mm. right now, is that it's very similar to the advice that Alex gives Kara in season three, right before she goes to fight Rain. Mm. And she's like, I know your instinct is to be compassionate and try to see the good in people, but right now you need to be cold and be alien and stay focused. Mm. And that backfired ultimately because it wasn't true to the person Kara is. And I don't know that Jean can separate those two things <laughs> without negative ramifications. So, <laughs> yeah, we will say? We'll see that. Yeah. But for Jean, you know, he has made before this moment quite a lot of progress in terms of being a father and feeling like a hero and progress toward no longer seeing himself as, you know, secretly a monster. And a lot of that growth is related to. Jean's role as a father and and Mm. brings us to this idea that Jean may be learning quite soon that being a dad or or a father figure is heroic in and of itself. Those associated emotions and, and that need to protect and that want to persevere for the sake of loved ones is in fact heroic. And going back to this concept of like a soldier and Jean's image of himself with relation to it, like how we saw soldier and hero contrasted in season one, Magan makes a contrast between acting like a soldier and acting like a father, which just as like a side note, I love whenever they make the like father figure subtext super explicit like that. Yes. As just a very like 
core of the show found family element that they take seriously. But in terms of Jean and his identity as a hero or not a hero, his heroism is intrinsically tied to being a father from the very beginning. He basically didn't know what he wanted to do on Mars as a vocation until his first daughter was born. He says that I finally realized I had a mission in life. I had someone who relied on me. Having her gave me direction, protecting her, and made me realize I had a gift for keeping people safe. So I joined the law enforcement on Mars. I became the Martian Manhunter. Ooh, and you reading that quote just now reminded me, Alex says something that's worded very similarly when she's talking to Alora's hologram in season one. During the Black Mercy episode, she gets super upset because she's not getting any help or advice that she needs, and mm. she gives this outburst and she says, Kara is relying on me. Kara has always relied on me. Mm. And it's kind of fun to see just in those little turns of phrase that kind of mental, emotional kinship that <laughs> Jean and Alex just have yes. that we talked about having been made so very visible in the past episode. And then you see here, actually, Jean's hero theme, his Martian Manhunter motif, mm-hmm. plays when he phases through the chaos after the phantoms come to save Alex from being attacked by them. Yeah, it's probably the most like big hero moment (laughs) of the episode. Mm. And it is a moment where Jean is acting as a father and and protecting his daughter figure in Alex. So that link of his motif associated with that moment is quite powerful and reinforces this idea. And and so, you know, going back to this question of like whether or not Jean can separate being a dad <laughs> with yeah. being a hero, I am reminded of Jean's speech actually to Kara in season three when Kara is depressed after having killed, is what she thinks, Manel. And he says to Kara, but you have a human heart now. It aches, it scars, but it keeps on beating. If you try and cut it out, you will lose something essential. And he also says, you know, you saved me, remember? You taught me that my loss made me stronger. That was Cara Danvers, not Supergirl. So Jean's, I guess, like Cara Danvers <laughs> role is, I think, you know, being a father and, and yeah. having that familial, like personal connection the way that Cara has as, as Cara Danvers. Well, and that makes a lot of sense, given that Martian culture was so communal. Mm. Yeah. And and so I think that the the sort of slow burn arc here for Jean will be rooted in the idea that heroism is living and heroism is connecting to your loved ones and protecting them in personal ways. It's also taking care of yourself. It's it's going on and surviving, which is an idea that Jean struggles with, you know, mm. concerning his survivor's guilt. And, you know, Kara raises the point in season one, when Jean is considering sacrificing himself to save Alex, Kara mm. says, but dying is a lot easier than getting back up when the world has ended. And in that same episode, Alex says to Jean, she tries to reassure him after he talks about like his great shame in surviving. She says, Jean, look at me. There's no shame in surviving. Mm. Going back to, you know, his two daughters being very essential for him in terms of being the Martian Manhunter. Well, and it's interesting that you chose those quotes because those are also from the first episode where he says Mm. any man would be proud to call you his daughters. 
Yeah. And that's the first time they all have like a cute family hug. <laughs> yes. And as much as Megan very much encourages Jean to act like a soldier, she's also quite a a calming force in this episode. She makes sure everyone eats, you know, and, mm. and checks yeah. in on their mental health and makes sure that they take a breather when it's necessary. And while there's sort of a conflict there in terms of like what John is going to interpret as no more feelings anymore. And I have to only act like a soldier and forget that I'm a father in probably an extreme way. Magan also encourages this idea of heroism or just the importance of living and and taking care of yourself and taking care of your loved ones Mm. through her actions. And I feel like of everyone, Magan would understand Kara's philosophy of you take it an inch at a time, given Mm. that Magan has spent years trying to overturn the white Martian genocide through a resistance faction. And just she gets that, you know, you can't win a battle like that in a day or a week. Mm, Yeah. And you have to pace yourself or you'll burn out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then you won't be effective. Yeah. And then you can't achieve the objectives and the things that you want. Or you'll make mistakes and that will be the undoing. Mm, Precisely. And, you know, one character who struggles with the concept, as we've said, of taking it one step at a time and there being hope in that is Alex, Mm. who heroism for her is definitely action as well in sort of a different way than say Kara but it's very rooted in this idea of like saving my little sister as she says in the Black Mercy episode and it's very ingrained in the makeup of the character like the first sort of heroic scene we see with Alex is when in the pilot Kara has been defeated by Vartox and Alex swoops in. She descends from a helicopter and has this like big action hero reveal of her face taking a helmet off. And you're meant to like look at her and be like, wow. (laughs) In this moment where she is like demonstrating her her skill and her capability and her heroism through saving her sister. Mm -hmm. And then also we have in the finale of season one, Alex saying a line that I think sort of sums Sums up up why she's upset. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it sums up why she's upset. It also sums up the way that I think she perceives their sort of role as like a unit and like the Mm -hmm. way that they function together to make the world a better place. She says, you saved the world and then I saved you in your pod. (laughs) But, you know, that instance touches on this idea that like every time Kara has been in danger and sometimes that involves like death, (laughs) like actual legit death, all Alex had to do, you know, and it's not a small feat, (laughs) certainly, but all she had to do was be like quick thinking, think like, oh, the car's pods right here. I'll go save her with that. Or, oh, grass, (laughs) grass has sunlight in it. And also willing to sacrifice herself, you know, rush into danger, go into space, run at Red Daughter, go into the Black Mercy dream world. And Kara has survived. Those have been like tried and true methods. (laughs) And in this case, it is not working out the same. For Alex, you know, she sees this, I think, almost as like a dichotomy where she either does that and succeeds or doesn't and loses. She says in this episode, 
Supergirl's in there. Okay, we are not not going to go get her. Like, it's unquestionable to her, even though in reality, that would not actually result in Kara being safe. (laughs) Even though if it was Kara trying to do that, Alex would be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, going back to this, this Black Mercy for the girl who has everything comparison, we also had that instance where when Kara is trapped in her at the time like ideal reality alex has some conflict with jean over you know going in and possibly dying herself in order to save Kara. and this time we see sort of that similar beat of like jean is the one who has to be like alex wait and she's like i won't give up on Kara," and that's how she sees it well and she also sees it as like they have this opportunity and as right. the person who's used to chasing the people with superpowers, she's like, if I have an opportunity, I have to take it. I may not get it again. Right. Yeah. And in this case, concerning Alex being willing to sacrifice her life, we're seeing another character who is more willing to die or to sacrifice themselves than to experience their worst fear. We're seeing with, you know, all three of the major characters, mm. Kara trapped in the Phantom Zone, trapped and unable to go and do the thing that she loves, which is help people, save people and affect change in the world and be with her loved ones or to die and be with her planet and her people. And we're seeing with Jean, his worst fear manifested in how he he feels like he's losing another daughter with Karagon. And with Alex, you know, much of her identity is rooted in I save my sister, I take care of my sister. And, you know, she just loves her. <laughs> and yeah, she's lost her. And she also has this deep fear of failure. Mm. Yeah. And that is something that she sees as like the thing she's supposed to be good at. <laughs> yeah. Protecting her sister. This is her one job. <laughs> yeah. So her worst fear is failing at that job, losing her sister. And here it is. And another beat that happens toward the end of the episode is obviously when Alex has all the food laid out in front of her that she ordered in anticipation of a car coming home. You know, it says, welcome home car on it, just to be mean to us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, contrast that situation where Alex did everything she was supposed to or, or you know, to the extent she was supposed to, the, actually just sacrificing herself would not have done anything. And in the Black Mercy episode, Kara came home. And she was fine, you know, <laughs> she was a little bit more traumatized after all the events and, and some issues with obviously Astro's death would come up. Mm. But she survived and she was with her family and she was eating pizza and pot stickers and having a, a fine time. And in this case, that just never manifested. That didn't happen. And Alex spends the whole episode expecting it to. And it does not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which is funny because Alex is quite, you know, we've talked about before, an anxious person. And in some ways, this was growth for her to be like, oh, it's okay. We will we'll get her back and we'll deal with the situation. And there are ways that we can use to get to her. But then it's almost like a situation where she did the thing she's supposed to. She like hoped and then her hopes were crushed. (laughs) Yeah. So she's in a lower situation by the end of this episode. And this kind of goes back to what we talk about with Alex, the question of what her locus of control is, mm. like where she thinks the center of power is. Is it within herself? Does she have the power to affect the world? Or is the world the thing that is in control and she doesn't have control over it herself? Alex behaves as if she does have control over the world. She tries to have control over the world, but she believes that she does not. And the world often like in this episode, reminds her that she does not. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> and we see it reflected in the way that she talks about Kara, almost like she is expecting to never see her again. She's like, how am I supposed to accept a world without Kara in it? And Kelly's kind of like, you don't have to accept that yet. <laughs> right. It's been one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kelly's like, it's been 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Which that part reminds me a little bit of when Alex was stressed about the baby flying into the outlet. <laughs> and Kelly's like, let's see if how logical this is. In terms of their relationship and how solid a foundation it is maybe compared to past ones it's like <laughs> kelly got a good insight into what alex looks like when she's uh, not okay <laughs> yeah. early on Quite. and still was amused enough to sign up for that so yeah yeah and you know obviously found the protective aspects of that lovable as one might say endearing endearing and for alex I think heroism, you know, given that the center of control she thinks is like external and not within her, is acting despite the odds. And, you know, this makes sense with Alex as a human amongst aliens who have these incredible powers and becoming a vigilante in that space. And, you know, Kelly points out that what she achieved in this episode was more than anyone could have pulled off in a day. But for Alex, it's still not good enough. It still didn't do the like magic heroic thing that it was supposed to do. And I think like Jean, Alex sort of regresses to some of her central beliefs about the world and, and how things function and who she is before, you know, her growth over the years, particularly in terms of like hope and whether or not she has trust that things will go OK. Moving forward, she retreats to a place where she doesn't think things will be OK. She says, this isn't just a hard path. I don't see any path at all. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because Alex is one of the characters who starts off in a place of confidence mm. because she's had all these successful experiences already of, you know, relying on Jean's planning skills, relying on her own ability to contingency plan for whatever weird thing life and Kara's superpowers throw their way. And just from her own experience of having run the DEO, she's good at this stuff. And so this inability to do something so important feels like a setback where she had been really confident and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. she just isn't anymore. Right. Whereas you then have Nia, who's one of the newer and the, the baby member of the squad, if you will, <laughs> who she hits that wall of I can't do it, I can't help much sooner than everybody else, mm. partly because she is the newest member of this team and also partly just because she has less life experience to give her a framework for knowing how to cope with these kinds of setbacks. She hasn't had, you know, as much experience knowing, well, what can I try that I haven't tried yet? Mm. She was able to do it when she saw that Brainy was in danger. She was able to push herself but she also just is completely lacking in this confidence that she does have the tools at her disposal, both emotionally and literally, mm. to do what Kara is saying needs to be done to make that little bit of progress at a time and get there. And the other part about it that is so Kara-like in Nia's struggle here is that she admits she feels very lost without the female role models that she has in her life because mm. she, you know, she lost her mom and her sister. And then Kara kind of stepped into that and was oh, like, yeah. I'll be part of your family now and so 
sort of like Alex and Jean. She's a little bit like, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we're seeing like Kara played such a significant role in all of these people's lives. And because it's a traumatic moment for people, like a, a loss of her, mm. I think people are retreating into themselves in ways that go back to that same place that they were, you know, maybe before Kara. And for Nia, she's sort of reminded, like you said, of the loss of her mother and of the relationship she had with her sister. And she says, like, I don't have anyone to actually teach me how to interpret my dreams. And until I learn, I'm never going to be the hero I want to be. And this is something that we talked about last week. Nia doesn't have faith in her ability to effectively act. I think she has like an imposter syndrome situation going on. Well, yes, it's not just that she doesn't believe that she has the ability. It's that her perception of her ability is so mismatched Mm. to the reality of it. Right. Yeah, this root of this doubt in herself and sense that she is an imposter is thinking that she's not the one who's supposed to have the powers that she has Mm. and thinking that she's not living up to what her mother would have wanted. And she is in this situation where she thinks that she's failing in using her dream powers. You know, she sees the Danvers sisters running and the big Midvale high school sign when she is trying to dream her way to Kara's pretend location in the simulation. And she thinks, well, this has nothing to do with anything and assumes that she's messing up. Kind of like how in season five, she thought that all the dreams that she was having about Brainy were like a distraction or her having like an emotional issue as Mm. opposed to them actually being relevant to her goals and the dreams accurately symbolizing a relevant role that Brainy played in those situations. And in this episode, we see her even with regard to being a reporter. When Andrea tells her to go cover the Lex trial with William, she's like, I'm sorry, me? Yeah. Thinking that, like, I'm not equipped to do this, signaling her doubt in herself. And all of this is to say that Nia's perception of what a hero is, or what heroism is, is very tied to she thinks her mother's a hero. She thinks her sister should have been a hero. And she thinks that Supergirl's a hero. But she doesn't feel like she lives up to that standard. Hmm. Luckily, (laughs) Brady gives her sort of a hope speech, which was nice. Yeah, that was actually a really nice scene for them, especially after last episode where they're kind of patching up their emotional intimacy with each other. Hmm. And Brainy is very mission-focused in this episode, very much (laughs) like Alex and like Jean, which I don't know how much of it is him internally. That's how he wants to act versus that's how he's seen everyone else act between having been a member of the Legion for so long and then working at the DEO. That's interesting. But as much as he is so focused on, okay, we have to practice this thing because this is going to be a key part of the strategy to get Kara back. He takes the time to recognize that, kind of like Magan in a way, that Hmm. Nia not in a good frame of mind and not present to be able to think critically about what's happening isn't going to help. Hmm. And he makes this really lovely affirming speech, a hope speech to Nia, giving her that vote of confidence and saying, you know, I hear you about this loss that you're feeling, but you already have all the things that you need to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brady is quite good in this episode in terms of like checking in on Nia and setting her up for success, something that she like takes forward with her throughout the episode. But in terms of his own actions and mindset and otherwise, even in scenes with Nia, he is very focused on acting and 
it's funny because in the speech that he gives to Nia, he says, you know, and so we know she's more than just Supergirl. She's Kara about Kara. And here he invokes the identity like Kara, Kara Danvers, mm. but is actually quite focused on the Supergirl qualities and is behaving himself in almost with that season three Supergirl energy in how, you know, there's no time for Nia to help William with the story. Like Kara had no time for work <laughs> at Gecko. Yeah. And and only the heroics and not like dealing with Lex even matter. So it would be interesting to see him more in touch with the value of an identity within himself that is not directly related to like daily heroics and being like Brainy the Legion member or Brainy the DEO agent. Mm. So Brainy is really focused on the hero elements of who Kara is as Supergirl, but he reveals this in a way that is a really lovely affirmation of that legacy that Kara is so worried about because he talks about the Legion and the fact that essentially the heroism of the future is built on Kara's example. It is founded on her values and her principles. And that is how the Legion operates. And that was his framework. He describes Kara to Nia as a beacon through the darkness, which felt really apropos given that Kara is trapped in this dark, scary place <laughs> and literally is the beacon that is going to guide any any and all <sighs> friends that she makes along the way out of there. Yes. And that line also reminded me of Jean to Kara in season four when he says that it's your optimism that will save us, Kara. You're the beacon of hope who sets an example fighting for justice everywhere. The other thing about that turn of phrase here, specifically referencing Kara as a beacon through the darkness, is that within the Phantom Zone, there are moments where you see she is lacking her actual sight mm. because of the way their magic works. But she still has an inner light that is is functioning to do that. But more to the point, Brainy is explaining all of this because... As we know, the membership in the Legion was so important for him and his identity and separating himself from the legacy of a family that was not good. And hmm. those values and those ideals were what gave him the confidence, much like the confidence Nia is struggling with right now, hmm. to feel capable of being a hero and of taking action when it is necessary. So that was a really cool reflection of what the show is trying to tell us about what Kara means as a hero. Mm -hmm. And he demonstrates some of that sort of respect for who Kara is as Supergirl through his Little Hope speech to Nia, which is something that we see a lot of the characters actually participate in Hope speeches throughout the episode. Mm, yeah. You know, after Brainy gives Nia that motivational speech of sorts, Nia then does the same for William, who in this episode actually displayed anger, going back to that idea of anger as a manifestation of the wish to act and not being able to channel that wish to act in a productive way. And he has, you know, these obvious feelings of powerlessness with regard to Lex, who was acquitted. But Nia's like, you know, there's nothing we could have done about that. But when he tries something again tomorrow, that is something we can do something about. We can still make a difference. We just can't stop trying. Mm -hmm. Which is very, well, Kara, in the sense that here again, we see this thread of taking the steps that you can take 
to make things at least better or being forward thinking in that sense. And McGon also said to Jean in this episode when he's like, we would have been prepared for that if he had been more patient and willing to carefully plot out how to save Kara. McGon says, well, now we will be next time. And then we have Kelly, who also used her powers of psychology in this episode. Yeah, I actually really liked that scene because it was a callback to something we learned about Kelly very early on when the character was introduced. And her, much like Kara does, using her own experiences with loss to connect to other people to get them to a place where they're ready to do the thing that is scary or dangerous, where she's able to connect to Silas and give him that confidence because she understands what it's like to lose a romantic partner in a scary, abrupt way like that. Yeah. And she frames it for Silas as a sort of act of heroism in a quite motivational way, I think, Mm. and in a way that honors Owen. You can make it work. And when you do, we will save Supergirl and every life she saves from then on will be thanks to you and thanks to Owen, Mm. which is quite nice. (laughs) Yes. But then Alex. (laughs) And then there's Kelly's current life partner who tag teams her, but in the most backhanded (laughs) possible way, because Alex's version of a hope speech is usually like, just do the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There's a little bit of an edge to it, which is I appreciate it. She doesn't mince words. There is no flowery language. It's just (laughs) get out there and do what needs to get done. Alex says these creepy bastards aren't going to take any more of us do it for Owen. And that not only has Alex's signature style, (laughs) she she is also speaking from a shared value of family and honoring loved ones Mm. and protecting people. And it's interesting because she also sort of makes him, through her language, a part of the group. Mm. Yeah. Like, aren't going to take any more of us, which I think is a nice tactic (laughs) for her to use. Hashtag gay solidarity. (laughs) And then... As we kind of discussed in our format switch, in addition to that kind of bigger topic, we wanted to throw in some smaller things that were fun, but not necessarily part of a theme or like a big concept. Mm -hmm. So naturally, I will start off with With something that is related related to, (laughs) (laughs) but sort of a stray thought. The excuse that Nia used for why she was late to Andrea's meeting at CACO was, I'm sorry, I was donating blood. And Andrea refers to it as heroic. Which is nice in terms of, you know, theme, but also due to the blood donation shortages that have begun since COVID started. Mm. Blood is actually still needed. So that was a fun sort of, you know, ripped from the headlines thing for them. That is also like affirming that, hey, this is a heroic thing that you at home can do, (laughs) which was fun. True. But also similar stray thought related to how you chose one that was like, This is part of the theme of this episode. (laughs) I would like to thank the show for taking what I will call the glee approach to announcing its themes, which is to (laughs) say them very loudly, repeatedly at the start of the episode. Power. (laughs) Power. Today we're talking about power. Listen, listen, they couldn't do it in the premiere of the season, the technical premiere of the season. So they really had to reinforce it in the second one. I know. I'm just... They could have gotten away with the full homage and had Andrea write it on a board. Like, I really, (laughs) I think I would like to see a low-key Glee parody episode. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) We're making our predictions and our bets. There'll be a musical episode. There we go. 
Speaking of music, <laughs> this episode, we had some nice score usage. As we mentioned, the Martian Manhunter theme with Sean. Mm-hmm. And also Harnessing Anger, fan favorite <laughs> score that was originally used in the Red-Faced episode in season one, where Kara dealt with her anger, hence the title Harnessing Anger, when she was fighting Red Tornado and harnessing her anger and, and her memories of Krypton in order to defeat Red Red Tornado and, and channel that, well, you know, need mm. to act that is within anger in the direction of Red Tornado. Well, and they also used it again in season two in the episode where Alex almost gets launched off into space mm. with the aliens that Cadmus had kidnapped. Right. And it came up again in this episode in a similar way of Kara experiencing or reliving essentially a world breaking loss. Of some kind. Yeah. She describes a moment which has happened on the show that she had relived through the phantoms that originally occurred in season three in the finale when Rain killed many of her loved ones. And she flew up into a disruption, as they referred to it, in order to turn back time. And the harnessing anger theme played then as well. So it's quite fitting to see it here again. Mm. Yes. Other kind of little things, the title for this episode and some of its plot lines entirely were pulled from the movie A Few Good Men, which came out in the 90s. And it was about a military tribunal, so a trial, where the bad guy does pretty much exactly what Lex does in terms of incriminating himself and saying a lot of terrible things. Mm-hmm. Only in the original movie, the bad guy doesn't win. <laughs> um, um Subverting expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm assuming that that was some setup for some reveals that will come in subsequent episodes because we were left to wonder at the end if he really did get himself out of his own power or if somebody rigged the jury somehow. Mm. And then one of the other big things we just want to mention, because we talked about this towards the end of our podcast episode last week, is Mm -hmm. we were curious to see how the restrictions for filming during the pandemic were going to affect the storytelling and the ability to kind of do the emotional beats effectively. It was kind of a mixed bag, I think, so far. Right. It wasn't super conspicuous as far as seeing people on screen together, except in the sense that it was a lot more just seeing partners much the way it was in season two, as opposed to maybe being Mm -hmm. as much of group stuff or maybe three or four characters altogether. But that said, the workarounds that they found for scenes where they could not have groups where you might otherwise, like in the courtroom scene, felt like they were logically justified in story in a way that... I know hasn't been as effective in some of the other shows. Mm. So that was nicely done. Yeah, I haven't felt a sense of like secretly COVID exists in this world. (laughs) You know, I haven't been like, oh, where are the other people in the scene? Which they've in that sense done a good job. Well, and it doesn't feel like they've steered away from telling the story they originally wanted to tell for this season because of COVID. Mm. That said... There was one element where you could tell that the the rushing of the timeline, which we talked about this last week, too, you felt it. The editing was a little bit rough compared to how it usually is. There were some kind of unclear transitions or some that were a little bit weird in that they didn't quite feel like they fit together well. And then specifically, I think I asked you if you noticed it as well. Some of the framing on the Kara and Zorel stuff didn't quite match enough to make you feel convinced that they were in the same room together and they 
they weren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In some ways, it plays into like Kara doesn't talk about Zorel <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, the distance was close. clearly there. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And overall, the episode had quite a lot of storylines running. Yeah, there were a lot. <laughs> and some of the editing issues, I think, had to do with having to cut lines from scenes in order to make mm. time. Yeah, this episode was around 42 minutes when an average episode is about 40. So they were pressing up really close on length in a way that they haven't mm. since early season three. Yeah, which makes me wonder about what they needed to achieve in this episode to make other stuff later work. Yeah. But one of the unfortunate things that did not appear in the episode was Alex telling Kelly that Kara is Supergirl. Yeah, they needed like one very explicitly clear sentence, right. at least, just to make it obvious. Yeah. You had said that you realized right at the beginning that, like, oh, Kelly knows now. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> noticed when we were at the end of the episode, <laughs> and then the show was over, uh, <laughs> when Alex was talking about her, like, sister not being there. Because I had missed mm-hmm. a couple things earlier on in my first viewing with, like, Alex being like, we should order for when Supergirl, you know, comes back. Yeah. So it would have been better served, I think, by maybe a beat between Alex and Jean, if that's all that you could fit in the episode, you know. Yeah. Touching on, oh, Kelly was okay with it. Kelly's here because I need a hug. Like, uh. (laughs) yeah, it actually turned out fine. Yeah. That was a little bit unfortunate just because it it was at the end of the previous episode that that was a, a thing that needed to happen. And then. There just wasn't enough of a clear, it did happen. Yeah. It was set up as like a storyline almost in a way that it maybe should not have been. Yeah. And overall, this episode, I think, I mean, apart from like, you know, issues related to having to deal with maybe having one less episode than they would or having to deal with COVID restrictions, trying to put things into place. The biggest thing for me in this episode and kind of in general has been the focus on Luther family like dynamics and the interplay between them, which is often entertaining in in some respects, Mm -hmm. but also can be quite repetitive. And we hit a lot of the same beats in these multiple storylines we've had about them. And in an episode where there's so much other stuff going on, it really stuck out as something that could have been cut down. Yeah. I mean, there were two or three beats that felt like they were set up for maybe new things that will be coming but the trial piece specifically was just a rehash of the trial flashback we saw in season four but longer Mm -hmm. so i mean in terms of things that the audience already knows this didn't feel like it gave us any new information but it took up a lot of the episode yeah i mean apart from lena having her sort of heroic moment of coming into the courtroom and risking being held accountable for the significant part she played in the creation of non nucere so that seemed essential, but a lot of the extraneous stuff. I mean, we're getting into the weeds now of like what could yeah. be cut or what should have stayed, etc. One thing for us all to sort of be conscious of, I think also particularly with Black Lives Matter being a movement which pulls all of our attention inward to how are we acting and how are we interacting with others based on color and are we treating everyone with respect and being conscious of other people's experiences as they navigate through the world. You and I have been keeping an eye on both characters of color within the show Supergirl and how they are treated by the narrative. And it's something that, you know, fandom on whole has had quite a bit of discussion on. And also within fandom, 
how characters of color are regarded, whether or not they are treated with the same like level of interest, maybe, as the white characters. Something that we're seeing crop up this week with relation to 602, A Few Good Women, is a perception of Jean and William. Mm, yeah. With relation to screen time and also just space within the narrative. And this is something that is sort of contentious at this moment where there are so many characters yeah. and there it feels like there's not a lot of time to get to the stuff that maybe you personally are super excited about, like me and Kara going through her life journey in the Phantom Zone. But there's this perception that has started to crop up of William in particular taking up a lot of space within the storyline in a way that is not congruent with like the data. Yeah. <laughs> in so far as in this episode, he had two and a half minutes of time. Which was on par with every other character at that tier of tertiary to the main storyline. He had about the same amount of time as even Andrea. So he was not being used in any disproportionate way mm. relative to his role within the bigger story. Right. First of all. And then second of all, you made a very good point that we saw him reacting to stuff they were going to include anyway, which mm -hmm. was Lex's trial. And it was to keep it from being visually boring and just <laughs> close ups on Lex's face the whole time. Yeah. So there's been this week a perception that William has taken away time from some of the other characters that particular fans want to see more from. And I think some of it is coming from a place of we want like positive representation in this way mm. and maybe not recognizing that William as a man of color who has a romantic like potential connection with a white woman, you know, making it an interracial relationship is also his own form of important representation. We have also heard it about Jean in this episode who did have a significant storyline, but one which was congruent with his role as the third main character in the series, maybe in a way that's more proportional than we saw with some of the other characters, but which mm. does not actually make him a burden upon the storyline. Yeah, he's he has the most directly similar storyline to Kara. Right. This whole conversation and the way it has cropped up actually made me think of something Alex says in the pilot episode and something that I have written about before and the important revelation that she has because of it. And it's her realizing that her younger self used to believe that in order for her to have more, Kara had to have less, that mm -hmm. they couldn't find ways to both get what they needed without one of them undercutting the other. And yeah. the whole point is that she as an adult is realizing that that is not true. Right. And it's it's the same general thing with all civil rights movements, that there is this inherent one person getting a piece of the pie means there's less for everyone else. But the whole idea is that you elevate everyone and then it becomes better for all. Yeah. We all benefit from diverse storytelling, equal opportunity, equality in general. And that ties into the core of the show, which is Stronger Together. Yeah. Well, and the, the other big thing about that is stories build empathy, which is a hugely important part of who Kara is as a hero mm. and how many of these characters were connecting to other people and helping them find the motivation to do difficult things and be better people. So, yeah, yeah. We're in the last stretch of Supergirl, the TV show. And if there's anything that we as a group of people who love the messages of the show and the core of it, even if we have issues with certain 
storytelling decisions or, or messaging mistakes that they have made or continue to make even, we can take away the good. And I think that is, you know, what we've talked about, which is hope, help, compassion for all and stronger together. Well said. And on that note, we just have a few short things before we go. Number one, next week's episode is called Phantom Menaces. Great play on Star Wars. <laughs> Although we did kind of prefer the Phantom of the Opera <laughs> version of we the title. We <laughs> were really leaning toward their original title of Phantoms of the Opera for the musical reference. <laughs> but there are some things to look forward to in the next episode, which include Alex being sad in a way we usually see Kara being sad. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> more more soldier energy from Jean and possibly conflict with Alex about it. Yeah. The, How are you soldiering on and such? The teaser, again, like we've been saying throughout this podcast episode, had a little bit of that season one dynamic of uh, mm. why don't you trust me? Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Excellent. So that could be fun. It looks like we're also going to see Magan again, which is fabulous. Mm. This is a thing I personally have been dreaming of since season two, so I'll take it. Yes. And for that character, as much as it is great to see her play this like very supportive and cool, like heroic role mm. in their lives, it would be nice to see Magan have an emotional arc that is about her, you know, keeping again an eye on how the show portrays characters of color, particularly with Kelly as also a very emotionally healthy person who is giving to others and, and wanting to represent Black women in a way that is not one dimensional and centers them as protagonists in their own stories. Yeah. And last thing in terms of teasers for next week, at the end of this episode, Kara planned to basically kidnap a phantom <laughs> and I guess the shoes on the other foot villains of Supergirl who <laughs> like to kidnap Kara Danvers and her associated loved ones. <laughs> right. It's her turn. <laughs> and then if you haven't done it, we will keep the listener survey up for one more week. We've gotten a decent amount of responses so far, but we know there's more of you out there. So uh, <laughs> We love data. Yes. We, like Brainy, love a good data set. So <laughs> by all means, send us your thoughts and feedback. Also, if you have any comments or questions, please send them over to us at Supergirls Attic on Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram. And thanks for listening. 